Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. First up this week, Richard Jenkins. He's being interviewed by my friend and Jordan Jesse Go co-host Jordan Morris. Richard Jenkins is, of course, an actor. He works a lot, mostly in supporting roles. He played the dead patriarch on Six Feet Under. Maybe you know him from there. He's also had wonderful parts in Burn After Reading, Step Brothers, and The Shape of Water. He was nominated for a Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars for the last one. I guess if you wanted to find a common thread in his roles, it's that he usually plays dads, or at least fatherly types. That's in part because he started acting on screen later in life. He got his first TV roles in his late 20s. He didn't show up on film until his late 30s. He also has a very beautiful voice and a kind of reassuring presence. I mean, what could possibly go wrong with Richard Jenkins as your gentle guide? And so it is with Kajillionaire, his new film. It's directed by Miranda July. Like a lot of Miranda July movies, it's distinctive. It focuses on a family of grifters and con artists. There is, of course, the father, played by our guest Richard Jenkins. His name is Robert. The mother, Teresa, played by Deborah Winger. And their daughter, who they call Old Dolio, played by Evan Rachel Wood. Robert, played by Richard Jenkins, is very, very good at what he does even when it comes to avoiding paying rent. That wall is a sponge. It's a sponge. This building ought to be condemned, really. We could, we could report it to the Department of Health and Human Services. Okay, okay, just, 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 just give us till Friday. You'll have 1,500 cash bills. We'll have it by Friday. Dude, we need little time to get it together. Friday tomorrow? It's tomorrow? Um... Well, I didn't literally mean... I mean, that's just a saying, you know, by Friday. It just means end of the week. Next Friday. Uh, the, the one after that. Friday after next. Yeah. Two weeks. Uh-huh. Two weeks. Uh, Richard Jenkins, welcome to Bullseye. Thank you. Nice to be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, uh, the family in your new movie, uh, Kajillionaire, is... Uh, I guess let's just say very unusual. Um, was there anything at all that reminded them about your own family? God, I hope not. Um, <laughs> no, um, no, no. It was uh, fairly loveless and um, or, or loving. Let's just say people ever say that it's there's no love in the family. It's their idea of love. Uh, and uh, no, no, it's uh, I don't think anybody's family is like this. It's singular. It's Miranda July's brain. That's what this is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, speaking of a, a very singular vision, um, the movie is very uh, emotionally intense in places, but there's also a lot of just like fun, goofy silliness. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking specifically about a scene where um, the family all sits together in a dry hot tub in a hot tub store. Um, were there any scenes that you remember as being particularly fun to shoot? Yeah, that was fun. That was, um, I, you know, uh, there was a couple that are not in the movie, uh, a couple of cons, uh, one about a watch and something else that was fun. Um, just, it really demonstrated how bad these people were at this, but there, the, the scene where we pretend to be a normal family, 
um, we go into this guy's house and he's on his, he's dying. And he says, please just act like a family in the other room so I can hear it. Uh, which was, is just, I thought was brilliant. I mean, it was brilliant writing and, and, uh, Old Olio starts to see the possibilities of a family, what, what it could be like. And uh, yeah, that was. Yeah, it is a, it is a very funny scene. And, 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 but very like, I imagine that that one in particular was kind of complicated to act because, you know, you are a character who has an unusual worldview doing what they think normal people do. What was it like to get prepared for that scene in particular? Well, it, 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 we found that we kind of fell into it. I mean, that it that we. I mean, I said, could, "You think I could have a piece of pie too, or cake, whatever it was?" Um, uh, you know, it's like for a moment <laughs> we were all just kind of there in the living room as a family, and it was, uh, <laughs> and then it's gone as soon as it's you know uh, the next two seconds. I say, "I think he's dead," <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, that was. Um, I, that was an amazing day to shoot that. I read an interview with Miranda July where she was talking about creating uh, backstories for all of these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the interview, she said your response when she tried to tell you about the backstory she had created was, please don't burden me with backstories. I hate backstories. Um, well, <laughs> when did you figure out that this wasn't a technique that worked for you? Well, I, I, it's, if, if it's not on the page, if it's not there in the text, uh, in the script, I don't, underst- I don't know how to play that, if, how I felt about my mom. Right. You know, if it's not there, how, how does that manifest itself in the movie? It's just <laughs> confusing to me. I mean, unless there's something that I want to create a physicality or something that, and I don't mind them. They just are not, I just don't find them that useful. And I tell this story many times, but Guillermo del Toro writes eight, nine page backstories for all of the characters. And and he writes them and Miranda writes them because they love these people so much. Mm-hmm. And they have this world in their head of where these people came from and who they were and what, but again, I don't, I don't know how to make that work if it's not in the movie, you know, right. it's just, it's just hard. So Guillermo, said, you know, you can read it and use it. If you don't want to use it, that's fine. Um, so the next day he said, did you read it? I said, yeah. He said, you want to use it? And I said, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I probably should have said, yeah. But, but so when in the Golden Globes, when I lost, he turned to me and he said, if you'd use the backstory, you might have won. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of cool that you you had this kind of private little Guillermo del Toro short story that was just for you. Yeah, it's amazing. And when you read them, it's like, wow. But I, again, I just don't know how it manifests itself in the movie. Now, Michael Stuhlbart, oh my gosh, he just... He devoured it. I, you know, he probably would use mine if I. He, he <laughs> Michael wants everything. You know, he's just meticulous about this stuff, and and it works for him. And he's brilliant. Michael Stuhlbart's a brilliant actor. Um, so hey, maybe I'll start using it now that I think about it. Maybe. <laughs> so Miranda July, she gets really surprising performances out of actors. Um, this movie in particular. Um. Is there something about her style that makes it easier for actors to take chances? I think her, the way she writes, I mean, that's just, if you, I mean, that's just the whole movie's a chance. I mean, it's just not something you see every day. And she's open. 
you know, she she has the movie in her head. She has these people in her head, but she's not unwilling to let you contribute because that's why you're there. And it becomes a true collaboration. You know, I mean, it really is um, fun to work that way with her. I think it's the first movie she wasn't in herself, you know. So that was a different story for her and a different way to work. I, I kept thinking, geez, I'm going to be fascinated to see this movie. I wanna, um, Because there's the movie that you have in your head, the movie you write, then the movie you shoot, and the movie you edit. It's a, well, They're <laughs> never the same. Right. And um, so, but... Um, this is old Dolio's movie. This is who this is who the movie is for. I mean, this is her movie, and um, part of her journey was this family. And I wanted to see what it looked like on screen. Yeah, this movie. Uh, it's interesting. It kind of takes place in a a heightened reality where some things are kind of silly and some things are kind of off. Is that something you think about when you're creating a character? Like what? What version of the world does this take place in? I, well, it can be, but it didn't for this for me. I mean, I, I saw them as real people. And, um, um, you know, I always thought just Robert thought this is the best way to raise a child. You know, I mean, the, the way, I mean, this family, these two adults, this is the way they deal with the world to make it possible for them to exist. And, uh, you know, they tried another way and it didn't work. Uh, they tried the straight and narrow, and that just is not who they are. So whether they're successful or not at this, it just seems to be the only way they can function uh, in the world. We all find our own ways to function. That's the way that that these two have found, is becoming these horrible grifters. <laughs> just really not good. Yeah, no, it's so, it's so interesting because, you know, the character you play in the movie does a lot of... Stuff. We'll have to bleep that out. Um, what is it like to play someone, but to kind of hate their behavior so much? I, you got to feel you just you can't hate their behavior. You really can't. You have to ju- justify it, you know. Right. And and uh, I, you know, when you said that, I thought, Mom, what what do I do? That's so. Oh. <laughs> I guess I do. <laughs> I guess I do do a lot of stuff. Um, you know, but uh, no, I just I I don't. I don't, I can't do that. I can't look at this person and say they're a terrible person. Yeah, it's kind of hard to to be that guy if you hate him, every fiber of him. Right. Mm. So you, uh, you got your start in the theater. Can you, uh, can you remember the first live theater you ever saw? Was it the, you know, Nutcracker at Christmas, um, something like that? Or, um, yeah, can you remember the first live theater? The first live theater I saw, I was in probably 14, maybe 15. And I went to Chicago with my parents and saw a touring company production of Bye Bye Birdie. Okay. That's a very classic uh, yeah. first play to see. And I was we were, I was from a smaller town in Illinois, uh, about 60 miles west of Chicago. It was a, a DeKalb, Illinois. It's it a small town. And um, it was Christmas and we went in and we had gone shopping and my mother had left a package under the seat and uh, we were leaving the theater. She said, oh, I forgot the package. I, I, so, I, I, so I went back in and they were having understudy rehearsals or something. I, I assume that's what they were. I didn't know what they were at the time. And all of these young kids in the show, they looked young to me um, and they were on stage horsing around having fun. 
And I just, I stood there and stared at them and like, how do you, that's, look at this. And I, I remember that's my first experience with theater. I mean, obviously you were kind of drawn to it from the, from the get-go. And it sounds like mm-hmm. you were kind of drawn to the work part of it. Like watching those people at a rehearsal was captivating well, they, in its own uh, way. They were having fun, you know, they were having, and, yeah. and it's like, I just saw the production and it was, I was, it was amazing to me to see that, you know, um, but you know, I, it was started with me, the film. I went to the movies. I didn't go to theater. I went, I saw a movie and I would go to the movies and just the same thing. It's like, how do you do that? What is that? How, where do, <laughs> where do these people come from? What is, you know? Right. So, um, uh, but it was all a mystery and uh, exciting and I had no experience in it, but I, I did know that I wanted to do it. I don't know why. I don't know where it comes from. I, I, I don't know, but it was just, this is what I want to do. So you, I mean, you went on to be part of and to direct a theater company. Did you eventually get to do Hamlet or other Shakespeare? I didn't do a lot of Shakespeare. I directed more Shakespeare than I. I only I directed two Shakespeare. I did. I didn't did very little Shakespeare. I did Troilus and Cressida. I did uh, Twelfth Night, small part in Taming of the Shrew. I didn't do a lot of Shakespeare uh, in the in the company, but. Um, yeah, it was uh, intimidating to see college kids doing it, and it was <laughs> riveting to me. I mean, it was like, yeah. Did you learn anything about the process of an actor when you were directing? Like, when you were directing that Shakespeare, did you learn anything about acting that you took forward? Um, I learned I can hurt people. Hmm. I can hurt a performance a lot easier than I can help one. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I was aware of that, uh, that I, I had hurt some performances, hurt some actors. And um, it's a horrible feeling to, to do that, to think you're helping and you're just confusing. And then um, you realize that maybe you have a lot to learn. So hmm. uh, that was, yeah, that was part of it. Um, so you transitioned from theater to film uh, a little later in your career than a lot of actors? Um, do you- I did everything later than most people. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you remember that first film role? Well, uh, I remember it. Well, the, uh, there's, it's kind of weird. It's, I, I did some television. I did small parts on the Theater in America on PBS. I was just at small parts in, in plays that we did at uh, Trinity Rep that I they, we put on film. And I didn't really consider that film acting. I didn't I didn't do much. But uh, the, the kind of the first I did a, an independent film, a Horton Foot movie called On Valentine's Day. And um, as I recall, that's the first time I just fell in love with being in movies and and being able to to be in the place where it's happening, you know, in the room where it happens. You, 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 you're there. It's not a set. It's just there. And I thought, I just love that. Um, and then the first studio movie that I did with, with a nice part was The Witches of Eastwick. And that, that was, I was, again, a neophyte. And that was amazing. We'll finish up with Richard Jenkins in a minute after the break. Richard Jenkins tells us about his first job out of high school and why he wasn't very good at it. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Microsoft Teams. 
Now there are more ways to be a team with Microsoft Teams. Bring everyone together in one space with a new virtual room. Collaborate live, drawing, sharing, and building ideas with everyone on the same page. And make sure more of your team is seen and heard with up to 49 people on screen at once. Learn more about all the newest Teams features at Microsoft.com Teams. I'm Rodney Carmichael. I'm Sydney Madden. And on our new podcast, Louder Than a Riot, we trace the collision of rhyme and punishment in America. We were hunted by police. We were literally physically hunted. You'd be standing on the corner, drug squad pull up, everybody will run. New from NPR Music. Listen to Louder Than a Riot. Video games. Video games. Video games. You like them? Maybe you wish you had more time for them. Maybe you want to know the best ones to play. Maybe you want to know what happens to Mario when he dies. <laughs> In that case, you should check out Triple Click. It's a podcast about video games. A podcast about video games? But I don't have time for that. Sure you do. Once a week, Kickback as three video game experts give you everything from critical takes on the hottest new releases to scoops, interviews, and explanations about how video games work to fascinating and sometimes weird stories about the games we love. Triple Click is hosted by me, Kirk Hamilton. Me, Jason Schreier. And me, Maddie Myers. You can find Triple Click wherever you get your podcasts and listen at MaximumFun.org. Bye! Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My colleague Jordan Morris is speaking with actor Richard Jenkins. Jenkins stars alongside Evan Rachel Wood in the new movie Kajillionaire. He's also the star of the new film The Last Shift, where he plays a guy who's worked at a burger joint for almost four decades. Anyway, let's get back into his conversation with Jordan Morris. You've made a couple of movies with people from the world of um, sketch comedy and improv, um, which is different than the training you had. When you're shooting a scene with, like, Will Ferrell, can you tell that you and him have had very different kinds of training? No, not really. I mean, I, it's when you're in a movie with Will, it's like you, you I watched them, you know, I watched Will and John Riley. Um, you know, these guys are just, they're, you know, they're unstoppable. I mean, and guys like Adam Scott and you just, it's just a whole other way of working. It's, a, it's, you know, you, if you come from the theater, you have, you have the text and it's your job to figure it out and make it come to life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you go into a movie and that, that you, but sometimes that's not what's required. It's required that you find other things and, and it, it teaches a freedom and, um, uh, don't make decisions. Don't, you know, quit coming to conclusions here. Let's just let's just let open this up and see where it goes. You know, trust yourself. You really have to trust yourself. And 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 with somebody like Adam McKay who directed Step Brothers, you know, there's you never feel you can even though you may say something so stupid, uh, you never feel that it's a problem or that. They're they're rolling their eyes. Even <laughs> if, if they are, you don't see it. Um, and, and, you know, you really it's it's a safe place to 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 try to be to try to have fun. Um, and I think that's important with a movie like Step Brothers and working in, in that world. You have to feel um, safe. Did it feel uncomfortable at first working on a movie where people are more loosey goose about the? 
script? No, no, not really. I mean, you just you kind of marvel at it is what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, and you'd kind of watch them and you're, oh, I'm, I'm in this scene. OK, uh, <laughs> so, but, but it's uh, it's it's amazing. It, it's an incredible process, you know, and uh, it was fun. It didn't take me long to to jump in there and, and have as much fun as I did. We uh, because I think I said to Mary Steenburgen, I think we're having too much fun here. Uh, <laughs> it comes across. It really yeah. comes across in that movie. When I was a little boy, I always wanted to be a dinosaur. I wanted to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex more than anything in the world. I made my arms short, and I roamed the backyard, and I, I chased the neighborhood cats, and I growled, and I roared. Everybody knew me and was afraid of me. And then one day my dad said, Bobby, you're 17. It's... It's time to throw childish things aside. And I said, okay, Pop. But he didn't really say that. He said, stop being a dinosaur and get a job. But you know, I thought to myself, I'll go to medical school, I'll practice for a little while, and then I'll come back to it. Dad, how's that a skill? But I forgot how to do it. You're human. You could never be a dinosaur. Hey, I lost it. Well, Dad, what's the point? Yeah. The point is don't lose your dinosaur. In your uh, in your other new movie that we're talking about today, uh, The Last Shift, uh, you play a fast food employee. Um, I was wondering if you ever personally worked in food service or anything that's kind of similar to, you know, a minimum wage fast food job. I were I made pizzas when I was in high school. Okay, um, uh, but it was but it was really different because it was a. Um, this is back nineteen sixty four sixty three. Um, and pizzas were just starting to become the big thing. And mm-hmm. uh, I, uh, in my town was a university. So it was a place called the pizza villa. It's still there. Actually, it's still in decal. Um, still got great pizza. And, <laughs> and, um, but it was a lot of my friends worked there too. So it was kind of a hangout. So it was, you know, it wasn't really like a job. It was fun. The director of the last, uh, shift comes from the world of documentaries. Yeah. Um, was his style different because he typically works in nonfiction? Well, you know, he wanted something. Again, he, he wanted it to look like the camera was kind of window peeping and not, you know, he didn't want you to be aware of the camera. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm, I'm speaking for Andrew, so I, I really have to be careful because I'm not sure. But but that's the impression I got is that, that he didn't want a camera move or something that that – you all, all of a sudden you're made aware that this is a, a move. Something's happening with the camera, and uh, he he just wanted to seem like you were looking in somebody's window. That that was my impression. Um, yeah, it is. It is a very like naturalistic movie, and the mm-hmm. the locations in the movie are very everyday. It is it is not glamorous at all. No, no, it isn't. Uh, and and you know it's. Uh, 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 I just, I, I, I guess one of those things when you read it, you just go, geez, I, I want to do this. I really want to do this. I'd, I, I, I want to play this guy. I don't know what he is yet, but I just want to play him. And uh, it was, it was really fun. Uh, the characters in the, the last shift are having some really like difficult, challenging conversations about society and about uh, race in particular. Are, are those kinds of scenes hard to shoot when, you know, big issues like that are part of the text? No, no. Um, we just kind of, we just kind of 
figure where would it go? Where, where would this go? You know, let's just see where this goes. Um, and, and we, we, I think we waited a while to shoot those scenes, um, until, you know, kind of like the kind of in the script where it was, we, 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 we got to know each other a little bit and, and it, it seems like maybe this is the time to talk about something like this, um, uh, on Javon's part, you know, and, um, let's just see where it goes, you know, and, uh, yeah, but no, no, it, it wasn't hard to do. It was, um, a little uncomfortable, but. You know. They they don't they don't seem like they're coming out of a, a a writer who has a thesis. It does just seem like the hearts of these characters are coming out. I, I don't know. I thought th- I was impressed with how natural and kind of non judgmental those scenes uh, were. Yeah, and Andrew is not is not. You know, he's you know it's that thing of somebody you know. Um, he, they have, he has more in common with Javon than he has with anybody else, you know, <laughs> but he just doesn't get it. He doesn't see it, you know, and that, and that's, and it's, it's, he, he's not a bad man. I mean, he's a racist. I, yeah, he is a racist. But if you see him in the context of this thing, it's, 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 he could have been something else. Right. He could have been some, somebody else if he had a little different life. You know, and here's a chance for him to be something else, and he doesn't take it. He 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 doesn't have the tools or the wherewithal to right. take it. He doesn't, he doesn't. But you know, I think at the same time he knows he he knows he was wrong, but he it's not in him now at this time in his life. He doesn't have the he, doesn't, he just doesn't have the tools to do it. Well, Richard Jenkins, thank you so much for joining us on Bullseye. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Richard Jenkins. His two newest movies are Kajillionaire and The Last Shift. His interviewer, Jordan Morris, is also a TV comedy writer and podcaster. He's my co-host on the comedy podcast, Jordan Jesse Go. He also created the scripted sci-fi podcast, Bubble, which has just been announced as a graphic novel. And you can see his jokes on the wonderful Disney Plus alien Muppet show, Earth to Ned. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced out of the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where my daughter deemed our backyard balance beam not high enough. So I went on a popular e-commerce website and ordered a higher balance beam. Can't go anywhere. It's 2020. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. You can keep up with the show on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.